This is the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom. In this week's podcast, my heart has been crushed. I'm physically suffering. I don't feel like I can be close to anyone. Just saying those words will, will actually begin your healing. It will not deepen your hurt. It will begin your healing. Say those to God. Say those to someone else. James 5.16 says if we confess our sins to each other, that we'll be healed. Um, but Galatians tells us to confess our hurts to each other so we can help each other carry our burdens. Well, thank you for listening to the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International. My name's Ryan. Good to be on the podcast today. I serve as the Connections Pastor here at Journey. We hope you had a, a safe 4th of July holiday. You probably noticed we took a, a couple of weeks off the podcast, but we're we're back and we're ready to go. Uh, we've been in a series called Summer in the Psalms, and we, we interrupted the series one week to have uh, two special guests from Pastor Serve, a, a ministry that supports and encourages pastor, pastors not only here in Kansas City, but around the world, really. Uh, pastor Jimmy Dodd and Pastor Arthur Jackson, they joined us to discuss a Sunday we called Oneness Embraced. Uh, pastor Christian, our, our church desires to love all people and point all people to the love of Jesus. Can you share with us your greatest takeaway from our time with Jimmy and Arthur? Yeah, well, Ryan, first, I, I think it was, um, you know, one, just the ability to sit and have a conversation, to have, to have a to have a spiritual conversation that probably did not have an earthly resolution, right? So, I mean, you're discussing things that that ultimately never have a destination until Jesus comes back. And to, and to just sit and talk and to sit and learn, um, you know, one, two, to, to feel like the Lord told my heart, um, you know, hey, sit and sit and learn. Right, Ecclesiastes three said, "There's a time for everything. There's a time to speak, and there's a time to listen. This is my time, uh, you know, as a 42 year old pastor, to listen um, and and to learn. Um, so I think one, just being able to to sit in that posture with uh, you know with with two other pastors who've got more experience, more knowledge, different experience, different knowledge um, in this area than than I do, and then I think the what what I would call the graciousness and the maturity um, of Pastor Arthur, you know, who turned seventy two um, this month, married fifty two years to his wife um, this month, who grew up working at a a restaurant in Kansas City that he you know he really couldn't eat at. He was um, you know unless he came to the back door and and just to see the genuineness of his faith and his humility and to see how God used. All of it to keep pushing him closer to Jesus. I just think impacted me deeply. I thought, man, I hope when I'm 72, um, that I'm not on either side of the line that's trying to shout each other down, but that I am just faithfully loving Jesus, trying to answer questions, trying to help other people understand my experience in a way that might help them see with the, with the eyes of Jesus. And probably, you know, Arthur's, to me, the, the greatest comment, the one that got discussed the most in our, in our household, and again, I heard him three times because because I was in all three services. But when he said sit in the story, um, sit in their story, you know, ask somebody a question, then just sit in their story. Just listen and don't think about your comeback and don't think about when when you had something happen to you, too. Um, don't don't try to one up their story. But then he said, listen to your own story. What kind of conversations did you have? 
on race growing up. What, what's your, what's your story? And Danielle and I went away from that and kind of said, man, what, what was discussed that like, what did, what did our parents teach us about racism? What did our grandparents teach us about racism? What kind of conversations did we have in our home about black people and, um, you know, Hispanic people and Asian people? Like, did, did we discuss that at all? And, and I think what, what we realize is we both have lots and lots and lots to learn. And we have different discussions with, with our kids and our, than our parents had with us, not, um, good or bad, just different. But I had never even thought about that before. Like I had never thought what was the narrative that I heard from, from infancy to when I left for college? What was I taught? What were our family values around? Um, people of different races, um, that, you know, I, I grew up in, in such a small white town in rural Ohio. Like the, the reality was we just, we, we never, we didn't really talk about that. Um, so I just think even to reflect on that, I thought, wow, this, no wonder I'm, no wonder I'm late to the party. I didn't even, I didn't even know what's happening for a long time. I was thankful for the heart, um, that it was evident Pastor Arthur brought. Um, obviously a lot of, stories that he could have shared about life experiences, um, but I was just thankful that he came hoping to be an encouragement for, as you said, the cause of Christ, that we all, we want to be a church, uh, we are a church that desires all to uh, know Christ, regardless of their their race. So I was thankful that uh, we at least attempted to begin that conversation, which I know was at the heart. I'm enjoying the book, One is Embraced. Phenomenal book. Tony Evans. Yep. So... Um, hoping to continue to learn and grow myself. Yep. Um, transitioning a little bit to our, our summer in the Psalms, this past week you began a two-part teaching on the imprecatory Psalms, uh, and this Sunday you taught the second part. Can you give a quick recap of what these Psalms are, what these imprecatory Psalms are? Yeah, so imprecatory Psalms were Psalms that asked God to curse to maim, to hurt, to harm the enemies in your life, or as we learned this week a little more, really the the enemies of God in the world. Um, there were just a handful in Scripture, but we we could learn so much from them. You know, we learn from David, Psalm one hundred nine, that is that is graphically angry. To be honest with you, that we've got to remember to pray. We've got to remember Jesus. We've got to. Um, remember that God is in charge. And and when we do that, we do, like we learned this week, we do pray for God's kingdom to come. And we realize that part of praying that God's kingdom would come would be realizing that the kingdom of the devil or any kingdom that sets itself up against God must fall, has to fall. Um, so we, you know, we are in a sense praying that God would wipe out and destroy evil um, one day. But the first way we want God to do that is by redeeming it. The first way we want God to do that is on the cross. Um, but then we, we, we pray for ultimate justice, um, to, you know, and, and for wickedness to, to be punished eventually. So those imprecatory psalms are those psalms asking God to get busy doing what he said he was going to do when it comes to judging wickedness and removing sin and injustice from our world. Uh, and the apostle Peter says, Hey, God's not slow. He's going to accomplish that promise as we consider slowness. A day with the Lord's like a thousand years. If he's delaying at all, it's so that more people might know Jesus. 
And I think when we understand that, we 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 got to figure out how to get Jesus in front of more people, because that's one way God eliminates wickedness is by having people turn their lives to Him. And then finally, when uh, everyone's slated for salvation comes to salvation, you know, hopefully the the Lord will usher in the the you know the great eternal reign where wickedness is defeated once and for all, and those who have chosen to live with God on His terms, um, you know, will get to live in an eternity in in heaven. Uh, forever and ever with him. It's interesting. You, you know, I think a lot of people may not have realized there were these imprecatory psalms in there, and they're like, "Wow, I didn't know those things existed in there." And as you read your Bible, you find those. But we live in a culture, I think, that a lot of people want justice, or they want uh, at any cost, or they want to not necessarily have God fight their battles, but they want to get even. Um, you know, a friend of ours. Um, who, who wrote a great book, um, Dayton, who wrote his book about winning the World Series. In there, there's a, a section that I've held on to that I really enjoyed. Um, and he basically was talking about how there was a tough season when he first came here, and our friend Joseph said, uh, fight your battles on your knees. And, you know, what a, what a, great, um, what a great thought um, that it's the Lord that works and this is what David's crying out for. But often today, we, we want to just get back at people. Uh, we don't want to do it that way. So, um, you know, in your message last week, there was a, a statement that I think stuck with many people. And I think it's the, it's really kind of the activate part of the message. When, and here it was. It said, when trouble comes, we have a choice. Focus on Jesus or focus on Judas. And then you follow that up with, I don't know the name of the person causing the psalmist pain in Psalm 109. And I don't know the name of the person in your life causing you pain, but I do know if Jesus had Judas, then we probably won't escape life without somebody who will cause us deep pain. This is, man, what a really strong part of your message. So what what are some practical steps we can take to deal with some pain we have experienced, and how can we act as Jesus toward those who have hurt us? So, Ryan, honesty brings healing. All right, honesty, honesty brings healing. And I think the first thing we have to do is re, we, we, we've got to take our needs to Jesus in prayer, right? It's the second half of that message from two weeks ago that, you know, David told God, um, my heart has been wounded. My feelings have been hurt so much so that I am physically suffering and I just don't feel like I can trust anyone like that. Like David got so honest and there are some people, the first step to your healing is for you to say that. Because you've not even said that yet. You you not only have not admitted you're hurt, you're you're denying that you're bothered at all when the reality is your heart is hurt, it's physically causing you problems, and it's keeping you from getting close to anybody. So you so you gotta get honest. Honesty brings healing. Get honest with God in prayer first. Then you need to get honest with someone in your spiritual community. Um someone in your small group, one of the pastors or leaders at your church, perhaps a counselor, and you need to begin the the very, very long process. I mean, there are some like, there are some answers, you know, Matthew 18, you could go confront someone, you could take someone with you to confront them, you could bring them before the church. There is a way, you know, you got to forgive. If you truly understand the heart of forgiveness, you got to forgive. I mean, there there are biblical answers. But the process of working all of those biblical answers into health and being able to see Jesus instead of Judas is one talk to Jesus. Honesty brings healing. 
My heart has been crushed. I'm physically suffering. I don't feel like I can be close to anyone. Just saying those words will will actually begin your healing. It will not deepen your hurt. It'll begin your healing. Say those to God. Say those to someone else. James 5.16 says if we confess our sins to each other, that we'll be healed. Um, But Galatians tells us to confess our hurts to each other so we can help each other carry our burdens as well. So I believe there's healing in sharing with a friend the burden that you have in life. And then you might have to take it to a counselor, be willing to do the really, really hard work. It's probably going to take a really long time. But as David said, you know, David got to the end of Psalm 109, and we don't know whether or not God had um, destroyed his enemy or not, but we knew David realized that Jesus was at his right hand. God is at my right hand. So it's kind of like, okay, I've turned, I've turned my adversary over to God. I've asked God to repay them. I trust that he's going to. Now I've turned my heart and my life, my emotions, my feelings over to God. And all I can do is walk with him and know that if I'm at his right hand and he's at my right hand, I'm, I'm going to be okay. But I think the first step is you got to get honest with God. You got to get honest with a friend. Uh, maybe with a counselor, and then you got to work your way through the biblical principles of finding either reconciliation and healing or just healing sometimes without reconciliation. Some good practical truth. You know, obviously, Pastor Christian, we love the uh, the Bible, how you bring it to life in your sermons, but um, sometimes it, it, it comes to an activate point, a, a point where we got to do something with what we're learning. No doubt. And we can we can hear ten more messages on a precatory psalm, but if we're not going to do anything about it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, James says you can't just be hearers of the word only. You have to do it. Because people who hear the word and don't do it are like people who look in the mirror and then they forget what they look like. It's absolutely worthless for understanding your identity in Jesus. You have to do what you're learning if you want to become who God created you to, to become. Which means if you're listening and the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart to do something, um, then you need to respond, whatever it may be for you. Um, You know, in this week's message, you mentioned that the focus of Israel's lament in Psalm 137 was their separation from God. And I thought this was so great. And they had an imprecation on themselves about allowing themselves to drift from God spiritually. Why, Why were they concerned about this and why... Why should people today be worried about allowing their culture and environment to cause them to drift spiritually? Yes, yeah, so Psalm 137 is, is brilliant in its spiritual truth, and that on the way to asking God to curse their enemies, they give God permission to curse them if they become his enemy. It's powerful, yeah. right? It's like, God, these people over here have done this. So I'm, I'm going to get to the point where I'm... I'm going to need you to do something. However, before I get there, I want you to know if I do this, I want you to curse me this way. And if I do this, I want you to curse me this way. Um, very specifically, you know, they said if we, if, if, if I would forget Jerusalem, you know, it, it, I'd want you to cut my right hand. It'd be like my right hand losing all its function. If I, if I would forget the worship of my God, I'd want my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth. Like I'd want, I'd rather be mute than not praise you. Um, I'd rather lose my right hand than not serve you. Um, so they were asking God, you have permission to curse me if I, if I become your enemy. This was such a big deal because the worship of Israel, um, you know, had, had gone from, right? If, if we, if we walk with them out of Egypt, 
the worship of Israel was was to an unknown, invisible, but all-powerful God who was seen in his signs and wonders, who was seen in a pillar of fire, who was seen in a pillar of cloud. But their, their constant request of God was that somehow he could become tangible to them. How do we know you're with us if you're not tangible to us? So uh, M- Moses, God allowed Moses to build the tabernacle. He gave him the Ark of the Covenant. He said, that will represent my presence on earth. Um, that, as we found later under the high priestly reign of Eli, would become a good luck charm um, rather than the presence of God, and it would be lost to the Philistines and then put in a shed for a long time, kind of in southwestern the, the, the southwestern Judean foothills. Um, David would later bring it to Jerusalem and then decide we need to bring a temple. Like, my gosh, I'm in a beautiful house as the king of Israel, David says to himself, but, uh, but God is, is in a tent. This is second Kings six and seven. Um, so, um, or first Kings six and seven, second Samuel six and seven, actually. Um, so he says, let's build, let's, let's build the, uh, let's, let's build a temple. God says, you can't build a temple. You've shed too much blood. You're a man of war. Your son Solomon will build the temple. Solomon builds this great temple. And the, the worship of Israel, which was supposed to be in an unseen, invisible, all-powerful God, really began to revolve around the building in the city. As long as we have Jerusalem, as long as we have the temple, we have God. As long as we have God, we have everything. And God said, I was never, I was never confined to a city. I was never confined to a building. And he said, the only way you're going to know that is if I take it from you. Like the only way you're going to realize I'm bigger than Jerusalem is if I destroy Jerusalem. The only way you're going to realize I'm bigger than the temples if I destroy the temple. So that happened over a period of, of 20 years. Israel was under siege, was conquered three times, eventually was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Now the people of Israel are saying, we've, we've got a little bit of a, of a problem because all of our worship was in a city, in a building in a city. And now the building and the city are gone. But we are resolved that our God is not. So actually, it was a huge growth step for Israel to say, the city's gone, the building's gone, but our God is not. And even without the city and the building, we will not forget you. Even here in Babylon, in a culture and among a people um, that don't look like our city, that don't have our building, we still won't forget you. And I think it's so important in our culture today that people don't see God represented in their church, their denomination, or their pastor, but they realize that God lives with them right in their office cubicle where they might have a lot of people who feel and think and believe differently than they do just because they're not in their building with their pastor at their church doesn't mean God's not with them. That was kind of the the beginning of what God had told Moses. Um, Listen, I'm near, I'm near to you. I'm nearer to you than you think you are. This This was the beginning of of the people of Israel knowing that God, they needed to have a personal kind of heartfelt relationship with God, not a national city temple relationship um, with God. And this is the era that Ezra came out of. This is the era that Nehemiah came out of. This is the era that uh, Esther came out of. All these Jews who clung to the God of heaven without their city or their temple, this was when we begin to see in the Old Testament leanings towards a a heart connection with God rather than a national connection with God, which Jeremiah prophesied would happen as the temple was being torn down. He said, listen, one day it's not going to be about this place. One day there's going to be a new covenant. It's going to be about your heart. 
It's going to be about the Holy Spirit. It's going to be about a connection with God. So Israel began to lean that way. But then they got lost again. And by the time Jesus rolls back around 400 years later and new temples built and all of a sudden everything's about the temple again. As a matter of fact, the if there was an allegation that Jesus faced capital punishment for, it was the one where he said, I'm going to destroy the temple. Stephen um, eventually was martyred. The, you know, the first martyr uh, in the Christian church was ultimately martyred because, again, he said Jesus was greater than the temple. So the Jews that had gotten away from saying, I have to have a temple to have a relationship with God by the time of Jesus had gotten right back there. And Jesus had to say again, it is the spirit, your heart connection with me. Um, and one day you'll realize that I'll send my spirit to live in your heart. The temple will go away. AD 70, the temple was, uh, was knocked down by the, the Roman, um, the 10th Roman legion led by Titus, um, coming into, coming into Israel, the temple, was knocked down, but here we are 2,000 years later, the temple of God and his people, the church still continues. That process is beginning, maybe for the first time in Psalm 137, when people are saying, city's gone, building's gone, God's still here. How are we going to practically put that into practice? Um, and here, here we are now, 25, 2,600 years after this was written, Still, with, with that philosophy and thought, our God is not about a city and a building, but he's everywhere, and it's about a personal relationship with him. What a great uh, history lesson there. If you were not paying attention, there was a whole lot of uh, great Bible truth to, to help you to Just understand. Just took me a minute to get to First Samuel chapter 6 or 7. So that's Samuel a, chapter 6 or 7. That's all right. my homework better. <laughs> good, uh, uh, good explanation there. I, I appreciate that, Pastor Christian. With with imprecatory psalms, they're about spiritual enemies, and we touched on this a little bit, but the nation of Israel had, had many for thousands of years, um, and, and it still has many today. You transition and you talk about praying for our enemies, or in the in sermon you talk about or cursing our enemies. You, you ask a key question, should we pray for God to curse our spiritual enemies? So the question is, why, why was Jesus's uh, Jesus' teaching on this so radical for the religious leaders of his time, and even for some people today. Yeah, so to answer that question, in case people didn't get to listen to the message, should we pray for God to curse our spiritual enemies? The answer is absolutely not. Jesus says, pray for your spiritual enemies, bless your spiritual enemies. Um, both the Apostle Paul and and the disciple Peter say, bless and don't curse your spiritual enemies. So there's been a change mm-hmm because of the teaching of Jesus and because God punished all sin in Jesus now by bringing people to Jesus their sin it their sin is punished but it's just punished in Jesus um yeah but but for Jesus why was this such a radical teaching so on the weekend that Jesus was crucified uh, the people of Israel had had an opportunity to 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 release a prisoner that was being held, Jesus or someone named Barabbas. Barabbas was part of a rebellion who was trying to overthrow Rome, the enemies of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people said, we want him. We don't want someone who's going to die for our enemies. We want someone who's going to kill our enemies. That was just the, that was the spirit of Israel 2,000 years ago. Many would say that's the spirit of Israel today. We don't want someone to die for our enemies. We want someone who will kill our enemies. Um, but Jesus, according to Isaiah 53, would have to be a suffering servant before he was a conquering king because he had to suffer for the sin of the world before he could conquer the evil in the world through his people and through his church. 
But this was a this was a totally new concept, and it was one because of the rabbis of the day two thousand years ago, who were who were really focused on um, you know what some might call Zionism, meaning um, the power and salvation of the country, the nation, was more important than the spiritual power or the salvation of the individual soul. Um, and they just they just got it backwards. I think they thought if if Israel is strong, we'll have everything we need to go spiritually touch the world. And Jesus was saying, if you're spiritually strong, Israel will have everything they need to be who God created them um, to become. Uh, and Isaiah says their hearts were hardened. Um, some because, like Pharaoh, they they probably were already drifting that direction themselves. Some so that the Gentile church, us, could be grafted in and eventually go back and love and, and reach our Jewish brothers and sisters who are still looking for a Messiah. We just need to point them to Jesus to show him who he is. But there, you know, there was a, there was the thought 2000 years ago. And Ryan, there's the thought today, right? We're living in the, the turmoil of 2020. There's not very many people looking across the line, whether it's a, uh, a political line, whether it's a racial line, um, whether it's a, a COVID-19 line. There are not very many people looking on one side, standing on one side, looking across the other, thinking, you know what? I'm going to serve all of you um, by giving my life for you. Very, very few people willing to serve by suffering and dying. That doesn't even make any sense. You're like, how would that accomplish anything? And people in Jesus' time thought the exact same thing. You had the Jew, Jewish nation on one side. You had the Roman nation on the other. It would make it just made no sense for someone to get out of their line to go serve and die for people in the other line. They couldn't figure out how all that would come together. And only in hindsight do we see what the Holy Spirit has done, how God has formed His church, and how the world has been transformed by that. Uh, but it, it was a it was a foreign concept that the Holy Spirit through a very trusting heart would have to um would have to surrender to so that God could could show um through his word and through spirit that are still both very very active um that this this is like the apostle Peter said you this is the way of eternal life we're not totally sure how it's going to work we're not totally sure everybody's going to understand it but Jesus we're pretty sure you're you're the one who has a way to eternal life so we're we're with you you know we we read the life of Jesus, and if you want to know how to treat your enemies, you want to know how to love people, you, you look at how he did it. Um, and obviously you give some great great examples in these last two sermons. Uh, if you haven't listened, uh, be sure to, to listen to these two sermons on imprecatory uh, psalms. I think in the spirit of our world today, it would be good for followers of Jesus to know well uh, what God intends for us to how to love, truly love our enemies. And hopefully, as you mentioned in the message, hopefully one day they become our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that would be uh, what we really want. Pastor Christian, thanks, man, for uh, joining us today for the great wisdom uh, as we talk about these uh, these chapters in the book of Psalms and our Summer in Psalm series. Thank you for listening today from wherever you're at around the world. Be sure to tune in to our Sunday service, um, either online or in person. Uh, come uh, Sunday 8, 9.30, and 11. Uh, as of now, uh, unless something changes, those are our July services. So, uh, Or you can always, uh, on Facebook, live, on YouTube, JCI app, 
we would love for you to uh, to be a part of one of our services. We'd love to hear from you on how God is working in your life. If you have a question we can answer for you, you can email us at activate at takethejourney.cc. Otherwise, we look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. If you are ever in the Kansas City area, we would love for you to join us for one of our Sunday worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes or Google Play. We would love for you to help us get the word out about this resource. Don't forget to share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.